Okay. So this is actually a re-recording of the shear that we had on Parsis Akev. And so one or two pieces of, uh, I guess, introduction. You know, first of all, <clears throat> this week marks the second anniversary of my sister-in-law, Shoshana Elkabas from Avram, but also uh, is the what has changed in the world since this past Matzah Shabbos is that uh, a tzaddik who was not necessarily well known, but a tzaddik who nevertheless uh, revolutionized and began to revolutionize the, the modern uh, day world of Hasidim, the Sadiqa Rebbe, Zechusi Yorgan Aleinu, the Sadiqa Rebbe passed away this week. And the Sadiqa Rebbe uh, was somebody who I was like to meet a few times. My father grew up with him in Crown Heights, in, uh, in, the, in the small little Sadiqa Rebbe that was there. My, uh, my grandfather, who came from, who came from Poland, were Hasyatin or Hasidim, and Hasyatin and Sadiger were kind of rolled into one. They were they originate from the the house of Rizin. And the Sadiger Rebbe, the, the the Rebbe who just passed away actually yesterday or two days ago, the Sadiger Rebbe's father was somebody who I had met also a bunch of times. He was very close with my grandfather, and um, in a strange, I guess, turn of events in, uh, in, in my life, I met him, uh, both the father and the son, uh, many, many times, I guess, and um, had what felt like a very close and warm relationship with him. But the Sadiq Rebbe, who was just nifter, was somebody who was making waves in Eretz Yisrael amongst uh, the, not just his Hasidim, but the, uh, I guess you can say that the 45 and under uh, population by not just creating higher standards of learning for his his bachram and his and his kailim, but was somebody who was very very uh, makbid on people developing their own personal relationship with Hashem. Was somebody who, in in from the shiurim that I've seen that he's given, and the little clips that I see. <coughs> wherever he went and whatever he said was all about Amuna. It was all about the fundamentals of Amuna and living a life that had a simple, deep and personal, authentically passionate connection with Hashem. In a non-chanyakt uh, way, in a non-superficial um, way, he was somebody who was a, a force for good. He, was, he had a, kind of a, a, a presence about him, which, which many Rebbes do, but uh, many original Rebbes do, but there was something about him that always struck me. So he, was, he passed away this week. Uh, his yard site will fall the day after my sister-in-law's yard site. And um, it's a little bit sad then this week. And uh, this comes right at the time when we're holding in the middle of the Shiva Denachemta. And uh, I guess that, that Hashem wants that in my re-recording re this year that we should talk about Nechama. We should talk about grief, loss, Tishabov, and the world of the Zion 
the Nechamta, the seven weeks of Nechama. I want to read to you a poem written by a, a, a wonderful, remarkable human being whose name is John O'Donoghue. It's not a, it's not a steer to quote an Irish Catholic poet in the midst of, in the midst of this year. But John O'Donoghue, there's a few books. He's famously known for writing a book called Anamkara. But he has a book of poems, meditations, he calls them blessings. There's nothing religious about them. But he has a book called To Bless the Space Between Us. And I want to start this off because um, these words very much resonate with me uh, this week, given, given all the things that are going on. And I think it's apropos if we're going to talk about a connection, a continuation from Tishabov. When you lose someone you love, your life becomes strange. The ground beneath you gets fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure. And some dead echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss, and this loss has wounded others too. No one knows what has been taken from you when the silence of absence deepens. Flickers of guilt kindle regret for all that was left unsaid or undone. There are days when you wake up happy, again inside the fullness of life, until the moment breaks and you are thrown back onto the black tide of loss. Days when you have your heart back, you are able to function well, until in the middle of work or encounter, suddenly with no warning, you are ambushed by grief. It becomes hard to trust yourself. All you can depend on now is that sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, it knows its way and will find the right time to pull and pull the rope of grief until that coiled hill of tears has reduced to its last drop. Gradually, you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed. And when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal and you will have learned to wean your eyes from that gap in the air and be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time. Pain becomes gradually easier to deal with. And that's not something that's a bidiyevit. That's not something that's wrong with us. Because as we said on Tishabov, the entire experience of grief in relation to Hashem, the Jewish response to loss and sorrow is the recognition that loss and sorrow is never a dead end. What we mean by that is not to say that when somebody dies in life, we don't experience a permanent loss. Of course we experience a permanent loss. But when we take a bird's eye view and we're able to not be wrecked and destroyed and swallowed by pain, and we could look at the way our tradition and our Torah have expressed and explained to us 
the nature of things, we recognize that on the day of Tisha B'Av itself, Mashiach is born. We recognize that it's not simply out of the ashes comes newness, but it's through the fire of destruction that we have the capacity for newness. We recognize that Tchiyas HaMesim is not just simply something we believe will happen in the future, but that Tchiyas HaMesim itself is something we can tap into and experience in the present. And that's really what I want this time to be about. We didn't have a share on, on Matzah Shabbos Nachamu, and so let's start with that. Let's start with Nechama. Let's start with trying to connect ourselves in the deepest way, as the Rebbe would have wanted us to do, to connect ourselves to the deepest way, to faith, to amuna, to connecting to the parts of ourselves that have the capacity to believe, that are beyond our intellect, beyond our heart, of what it means to live from the soul and how the soul experiences pain. The Tefer Shleim of the Heilig Abba the Tefer Shlomo says, why do we say in Eicha, Eini, Eini, Yardamayim, my eyes, my eyes are pouring out tears. And why do we say, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami? Why do we say it twice? You will be consoled, you will be comforted, you will be comforted. Why do we say that twice? So the Tefer Shlomo says, Eini, Eini, Yardamayim, one aspect of crying is for the functional, practical, realistic loss that we've experienced from the beginning of time and will continue experiencing to the end of time with korban. You know, the Svasema says that before the base of Mikdash was destroyed, humanity related to the base of Mikdash through yearning for the base of Mikdash. During the times of the Beis HaMikdash, human beings related to the Beis HaMikdash by going there. And since the time of the Beis HaMikdash, says the Svas MS, human beings relate to the Beis HaMikdash through grieving over its loss. In other words, what the Svas MS saying is, is that the Beis HaMikdash is a reality that's part of life from the beginning of time to the end of time. It's real, it's, it, it lives in reality in the present moment. It's just that we relate to it through different ways. And Amir Tzasham, hopefully, we'll, we'll try to explain what that means. But says the Tzvar Shlama, says the Tzvar Shlama, Eini, Eini, Yardamayim, one eye cries the tears of all of the practical losses of my life, the pain that I experience in my life, the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, the recognition that all of the, the suffering and challenges and the disappointments that we experience in this world come because there's some pigam, there's something broken about the Beis HaMikdash. And that time that Mashiach comes, when the Beis HaMikdash will be rebuilt, in that moment, there will be no more pain anymore. There will be no more suffering because pain and suffering come through the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. So says the Tzvar what am I crying about on Tisha B'Av? What am I crying about that my eyes are crying? I'm crying over the functional losses. I lost my sister-in-law. You lost this one. You have this disappointment. You have that disappointment. In the practical applications 
of life, in all the things that we have going on for us in our lives, we cry because life isn't perfect. The second crying says the Tzver Shlema. Why do I? Why does the Torah say? Why does? Why do we say in Eicha the Navi says Amy Amy? What is the second? I crying. What is the second set of tears about? So the Tzver Shlema says the second set of tears is about the feelings that God has forsaken me. It's the interpretations that we have inside of us. If, if Hashem has perpetrated so much on me, if Hashem has crushed me so much in my life, then maybe Hashem doesn't love me. Maybe Hashem has forsaken me. Maybe Hashem has rejected me. One time I'm crying because of all the pain that I've experienced. And the second time I'm crying, I'm crying because my brain interprets that to mean and I experience in every deep, dark corner of my life that Hashem has rejected me. Hashem is neglecting me. Hashem is silent. Hashem is not here. Hashem is not present. Hashem doesn't love me anymore. He's forsaken me. And says the Torah Shlomo, that's why we say, Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, that the Navi promises us that Hashem says, not only am I going to rebuild in your life, the most magnificent building of the Beis HaMikdash, not only am I going to give you back all of the beautiful things that you deserve because you're my people, but I'm also going to be Menachem, those deepest, darkest parts of yourself where you have a suffolk, whether or not I was with you. I'm going to restore that to you. The Nechama, the Iker Nechama, says the Tver Shleima, is when a person can recognize and believe and feel within their bones that Hashem is with me, in this Gullus. And this is what we said on Tishabov. We said that the entire story of Tishabov, the entire celebration of Tishabov, is about the ability to recognize it's not just that pain happens, but it's that we need to have a sophisticated response to pain. We can't live in the shadow of trauma. We can't live anymore in the brokenness of all of the things that have been perpetrated on us. We need to grow, and we need to live in a state of realizing that Hashem says, I, I need you to learn how to deal with pain. I need you to know what it means to have Chorben Beis HaMikdash and not be destroyed by it. In other words, Hashem says, Golis is a lechachila. Of course we don't want Golis. Of course, of course Golis is a bidiyeved. But at the same time as it's a bidiyeved, it's also lechachila, because Hashem says, Hashem says to us, I want you to learn how to sit on the floor in Tishabov and not be broken by it. I want you to learn how to go through an Eicha and a Kinnis and go through all the things that you have in life and remember all through it that I'm with you. I'm with you. That's the whole Avoid of Tishabov. Sometimes some of us go through a Tishabov and say, We can't handle Tishabov. I don't want Tishabov this year. I don't need Tishabov this year. I don't need to have the capacity to be in pain. I know what pain is. I don't need an extra reminder of it. And that, of course, is not what Hashem wants. What Hashem wants us is to be able to sit on the floor in Tishabov and see where Hashem sits on the bottom of the floor. Hashem's lower. Hashem is in the lowest places. And the entire purpose of Tishabov is for us to recognize that it's not that there's no atheists in foxholes. It's that there's no absence of God in hell. 
That's the purpose of Tishabav. The purpose of Tishabav is for us to get to the Madrega where we can experience God even in the midst of hell. And that in and of itself is the Nachama. And that's what the Tefer Shalom is teaching us. Nachamu Nachamu Ami, recognize that I'm not just going to restore Jews at the end of time to their rightful places as being the princes and princesses of humanity. That's not all I'm going to do when Mashiach comes. But the Nechama, the Iker Nechama of Mashiach is that there will be a resolution, there will be a healing, there will be a transformation of all of the pain that has gone on from that moment that Adam and Chavet was kicked out of Gan Eden, all the way until that moment that Mashiach takes us back into Gan Eden, all of the pain that has been experienced is not just going to end, but the pain itself is going to be transformed into something that's more magnificent than any of us can imagine. And that, of course, is not something we can, we, we can necessarily taste of on this planet in this time. How do you take a parent that has lost a child or a child that has lost a parent? How do you turn to that person and say to them, you know, it's all good, don't worry about it. You can't, we can't. We have no asag of what that would be that would be the most disgusting thing anybody can say to somebody else. But for us to recognize from a bird's eye view that all of Nechama is Hashem saying to us, I'm with you. I'm with you even in this moment, in this darkest absence of your life, when you're crying in the bottom, curled up in the fetal position, on the floor of your bathroom, with whatever thing it is that pains you, Hashem says, I want you to know I'm with you. And so even though it's already in the middle of the week in Parshas for A, but I'm re-recording this year because we had some kind of a, a blackout and I wasn't able to get back onto Zoom, and so the recording stopped. So we're re-recording this. What we said was the first words of the Pasuk, and it will be that if you listen, Moshe Rabbeinu says, it will be if you listen to all of the laws that Hashem has set out for you, and you will guard them. Then, I, then Moshe says, the promise, the oath, the, the, the swearing that Hashem gave to your forefathers, that you will have a bris, there's an agreement between Hashem and, your, and, and our forefathers, that Hashem is going to take care of, our, of, of their children, which is us, Moshe Rabbeinu says, if you, if you listen to the laws of the Torah, then Hashem is going to fulfill that oath. And all this farm already bothered by many, many different questions that this Pasuk uh, 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 faces us with. But all this farm point out the word Ekev. The word Ekev, the, which literally in this, in this context means consequence. The consequence of you listening to God's uh, 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 actions, the consequence, I'm sorry, of you fulfilling God's responsibilities is that Hashem will fulfill his, his responsibility that he promised to our forefathers. So all this farm point out this word Akev, and there's many beautiful drushes on it. So we're going to go with one Mahalach. It's a little bit of a poetic twist, but it's not mine. I think I heard this from my Rebbe first. And it will be those of us 
And those moments in our lives that we feel crushed, we feel like we are nothing but the souls of feet, not the S-O-U-L-S, but the S-O-L-E-S, that we feel that we are nothing but calloused, worn over, smelly parts of life, crushed under the heaviness of not just the 5,000 plus years of tragedies that we've experienced as, as a nation, but crushed under the weight of whatever disappointments we have in our lives, the failures we have in our lives, or crushed under the losses that we have. And it will be that the, the, the time in life when people are feeling broken, people feel like we are the lowest. Mitzvah Shadash Fa'akov Rashi says, but again, to twist that poetically, it means those of us that feel that we are rejected and neglected and relegated to simply be crushed under the heels of life, tishmon, you will be listened to by Hashem. And it will be that when you feel broken, when you feel crushed under the heel, or you feel yourself are nothing but a heel in life, tishmon, Hashem will listen to you. It's not exactly the grammatical translation of it, the literal translation of it, but again, Alpidrush. Tishmon, you will be listened to. It will be that when you feel that you are listened to by Hashem, when you feel you have a personal relationship with Hashem and, and things are intimate between you and God, and that means it's not that you sit in, in the fear, in, in fear of God because of all of your, your personal shortcomings. It's not that you are sitting feeling that Hashem has done all of these negative things to you because you feel rejected. It's the exact opposite. It's when you can turn through all of the negative things you have in your life, all of these sins you've done, all of the negative personal traits that you have, all of the personal shortcomings and the failures that you bring to your life. When you bring that back to God, when you take all of the negative things that have been perpetrated upon you, whether it's the abuse you've been through, whether it's the the depression you suffer through, whether it's the losses you've had, the traumas you've experienced, when you can take all of that and come back to God with that in an authentic and vulnerable way, when you can reconnect yourself back and you can pull yourself out of the feelings of toxic shame, when you can bring that back to God and you can feel as if God is attuning himself to you, you can come to that place of tishmon of you are listened to, not you will listen, but you are listened to by Ekev Tishmon, it is through that that you will have the capacity to guard and to accomplish all of the things that God wants from you. And it is only through that that Hashem says, when you feel listened to, that you will recognize that I am there to fulfill the bris, the agreement, the oath that I swore to your father, your fathers, it is only through that. It is only through feeling attuned to by God and listened to with God's ear in the most compassionate and open listening possible. It is only through that that you will have the capacity to fulfill all of that which God wants from you. And it is only through that that I, Hashem says, I will fulfill all of the bris all of the agreement that I swore to Avram Avinu and to Yitzchak Avinu and to Yaakov Avinu. And there's something so deep here 
there's something so deep here, and I think this is really the the uh, the way we need to understand the Chama. In a certain way, it's almost radical. And to demonstrate this, I want to go to a pasuk that we find in Sefer Bereshis. I'm going to pull this back up here. Okay. The Torah teaches us, the Sfarim teach us that if you want to know the first, I'm sorry, if you want to know the source, the deepest, deepest source of anything in the world, you need to go back to the first time that that thing was either mentioned or alluded to in the Torah. In other words, if you want to know what is the core of Nechama, what is the core of Nechama, you need to go back to the first place that we find Nechama in the Torah. What is the essence of Nechama? You need to go back to finding the essence of that in the Torah. So where is the first time that we see Nechama mentioned in the Torah? The first time we see that is when Lamech names his baby Noach. And I am grateful to first seeing elements of this idea in, uh, in, the, in the writings of Aviva Zornberg. She's a, uh, certainly a person that's uh, worthy of, of learning from. And I'm going to kind of veer off a little bit and, and bring down some kind of uh, introduction to introduce the, the, the concept that she, that she says or the idea she says. And kind of wrap this wrap this discussion up with a diuk that she makes in Rashi, which I think is very much uh, applicable to to this discussion. So just as a, as a way of context, if we go back to the beginning of time, the foreshadowing, the remes to Chorben Beis Hamikdash, is of course that moment that Adam and Chava are kicked out of Gan Eden. The destruction of the Beis HaMikdash is an unfolding of that expulsion that took place from Ganeda. What do I mean? When Adam and Chava were created, it says that Adam was able to see He was able to see from, the, from one end of the world to the other end of the world. That means, parenthetically, that Adam was able to contain the entire existence of the world. He was able to experience all of life within him. He was able to see from one end of the world to the other end of the world. That means he was able to behold the wisdom of, of the natural world. And it also means that the entire existence of Hashem's creation contained Adam in it. That Adam felt contained by the earth. He was able to tap into the energy of the earth in its entirety. What does this mean? It means that Adam and Chava, before they sinned, Adam and Chava were complete human beings. They were not just complete specimens of human beings, but that when Hashem created Adam and Chava, He created something, as we, we've discussed many times, He created something that was half God and half man. In other words, He created a human being that was so unbelievably actualized that, as the Bashamtav says, that when Adam 
was created. Hashem said, Nasa Adam, let us make man, because as the Bashem Tov says, in all the creatures of the world, Hashem created them in, in their entirety. But when Adam was created, Adam was created with the capacity to even be a partner in creation. In other words, the, what, what, the, what demarcates humanity, what, what separates humanity from the rest of creation is that humanity has the capacity to even create. Fish don't have the capacity to create. They can procreate, they could create more fish, that's for sure, but they're not partners in the creation of the world. Man somehow has the capacity to create like God. So Adam and Chava are sitting in, in Gan Eden, and in their existence in life, they were complete. They lacked nothing, they yearned for nothing. There was nothing about them that caused them shame. They were able to walk around completely naked, which means they were able to be completely vulnerable, completely open, curious, compassionate, and Hashem created them with the sense that they would be keepers of earth because they were able to see and they contained within, the, within them the wisdom, both the strength and the nuanced compassion of being keepers of earth. They lacked for nothing. They needed nothing. There was no such thing as failure. They were, they were perfect in as much as anything can be perfect on planet Earth. So comes the Nachash, and the Nachash says to Adam and Chava, you know, you are masters of this Earth. There's nothing that you lack. So I want you to know that there's one thing that you're not a master of. What is that? The Nachash says to Adam and Chava, you are not masters of lacking. You don't know what it means to lack. You don't know what imperfection is. You don't know what it means to crave something that you don't have, to yearn for something that you don't have. You don't know what it means to work and put effort into something and see that you might fail. And you don't know how to handle that. You don't know how to handle failure, says the Nachash Tachava. Eat from the Eitz Adas, and you will, you will improve your life in a way where you will have the das elokim, you will have godly knowledge, you will expand your capacity for being keepers of earth by also being masters of disappointment. You don't know what disappointment is, says the Nachash. You don't know what imperfection is, says the Nachash. You don't know what desire is, says the Nachash. You don't know what it means to want something, not get it, and be a master of it, says the Nachash. So says Rav Tzaddik and others, whatever this means in a deep way, just to, just to explain it in, in, its, in, its, in its basic form, Adam and Chava didn't desire the Eitzadas. They didn't have an internalized need to eat from the Eitzadas. They, they didn't uh, desire it and have to have this internal struggle. And the reason for that is because they didn't desire anything. They weren't lacking in anything. But Adam and Chava were philosophically swayed. The Nachash said, you don't know how to master desire. You don't know how to master fantasy. You don't know how to master lust and gluttony. You don't know how to do those things because you don't experience those things. Eat from the Eitz Adas. You'll ingest 
gluttony, you'll ingest lust, you'll ingest desire, you'll ingest passion, you'll ingest the possibility of failure. And so Adam and Chava ate from the Eitzadas. And as this farm explained, they had a cheshven. They listened to the Nachash and they were swayed and they said, you know what? Let's ingest in us the dynamic of desire and disappointment. Let's become masters of the capacity to desire something, shoot to get it, work hard to get it, and risk failure. Let's become that. And Hashem says to Adam and Chava, you don't get it. The entire test of the Eitz Adas was, can you let go of the dynamic of desire and disappointment? Had you eaten from the Eitz Adas when I, when, I, when I intended you to eat from it, which was Shabbos, you would have had the capacity for desire and fulfillment. But now that you ate from the Eitz Adas prior to the moment that I told you to eat it, now you're going to have to learn how to deal with desire and disappointment. So, Amir Tzashem, when we do a series of Shurim on Shabbos, we'll discuss this, this uh, distinction, desire and fulfillment versus desire and disappointment. It's the difference between Shabbos and Chol. But for our uh, purposes, what we need to do is we need to recognize and understand what, what, what took place in that moment. In the expulsion from Gan Eden, Hashem said to Adam and Chava that you have changed the course of humanity because now humanity is going to have to contend with desire and disappointment for the rest of time. Of course, until that time, Mashiach comes and we're, we're restored back to that place of Adam and Kanemachet. But again, Adam and Chava ate from the Eitz and in doing so, they ingested for us, for, for humanity, the capacity for desire. And that's the curse that's the curse that Adam and Chava are cursed with, because Hashem says to them, you know, now that you've eaten from the Eitz Adas, now you're going to have to contend with death. Not you, Adam, are dying in this moment, because of course Adam doesn't die for many, many years, many hundreds of years later. But Hashem said, now you're going to have to contend with, with death. And death, what is death? Death is disappointment. Death is loss. Death is the capacity for us to feel terrible within ourselves, to want something and have that expectation or that need or desire frustrated. So now Adam and Chava have to deal with death and humanity has to deal with death, with suffering, with pain, with challenge, with having lives extinguished. And not just that, we are, we are cursed with etzev. In modern Hebrew, that word is used to describe depression, disappointment. Be'etzev tildibanim, Chava is told. In the act of procreation, in the act of giving birth to new things, you're going to have a lot of pain. It's not going to be so smooth. You want a baby, a husband and, a husband and wife, just have a baby, birth a baby. You want that? Not going to happen. It's going to be a lot of pain. It's going to be nine months of of pure challenge, says Hashem to, to Chava. It's not just that, built, that children are simply going to be results of passionate love between a husband and wife, but children are going to give you a lot of aggravation. In birth, many children are going to die. In 
Chinuch and trying to be machanik your children, there's going to be a lot of tsar gidlbanim. There's going to be a lot of challenge. You don't know if your children are going to come out the right way. You don't know if your children are going to follow in your footsteps. You don't know whether or not you're going to get it right. And you don't know whether or not your children are going to grow up to be whole people. There's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in that whole picture of having children. Not everybody has children. And even those that have children, not, not everybody knows that their children are going to quote unquote be successful, whatever that means. Uncertainty and disappointment, pain, challenge, suffering. It's going to be a lot of that. Adam is, is cursed that all of the work, all of food, all of the things that have to do with earth, you before you ate from the Eitzadas, you were masters of, of, of earth. Now it's not going to be so simple. You're not going to be able to be masters of earth. There are many, many times you're going to fail. You're going, to have, you're going to suffer from not just back-breaking labor, but you're going to suffer from droughts. You're going to suffer from, from the earth not replying to, to the fact that you want food from it. You're going to suffer from the possibility that your crops are not going to grow. A lot of disappointment, a lot of pain, a lot of effort, and no guarantee of success. So now... Now we go to Aviva Zornberg's point with understanding that as a framework, as a background, as a context for what happened in, in that expulsion from Gan Eden. We understand, of course, that the expulsion from the Beis Amikdash, from Eretz Yisrael, from Yerushalayim, from our home, continues this theme of desire and disappointment, of wanting things and not getting them and having our lives snuffed out, both psychologically and physically. And that's what we suffer from today. That's where, we are. that's where we are today. Still suffering from that moment of expulsion from Gan Eden, when Hashem told us, okay, if you want, if Adam and Chava, you want to ingest desire, well, here you have desire with the nachash included in it, which is the pain and the disappointment of failure. Not so simple. Not so simple. That plan of Adam and Chava to eat from the Eitzadas. So now we come to Aviva Zornberg's point. And her, what, her, what she points out is, is that from the thousand years from Adam to Noah, the ten generations, the Torah recounts to us almost nothing about those generations. We don't know anything about what took place during that time, other than names. We have names of people. We have the, the amount of years that they lived on planet Earth. We have their death, the names of their children. It's a very interesting uh, 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 kind of re uh, recollection of history of simply naming names. This one, this one lived for this amount of years. Then he, then he died. He had a child. This one, the child's name was this. He went on to die, and then this one died, and then this one was born, and then this one died, and then this one was born, all the way down until Noah. Suddenly when Noah comes, the Torah kind of puts a, a, an end to that style of recollection, and Noah is named, we see the Torah recounts not just his name, but the act of naming him, and we see something specific about him, which Already Rashi points out something, but before we get to Rashi, the Torah points out something about him to say that this ends the process of 
birth and death, birth and death, birth and death. And, and as Aviva Zornberg points out, the Torah telling us about birth and death is to, to, to demonstrate to us the curse that was given to Adam and Chava of death, that all of that life, that period of history from Adam until Noah was simply about the hardships of living and dying, living and dying, living and dying, living and dying, death and disappointment. I'm sorry, desire and disappointment, living and dying, desire and disappointment. The kiyum of that curse, the fulfillment of that curse that happened to Adam was death and dying. Birth and dying, I'm sorry. Birth and dying. Desire and disappointment. Until Noah comes. And with Noah, suddenly things shift. Lamech names Noah, calls his baby Noah. Lamer to say, This child will give us Nechama, whatever that word Nechama means in the Pasuk, we'll, we'll talk about that. This one will give us Nechama from our work. And from all of the efforts of our hands on, on the earth, that Hashem cursed us with. In other words, why was Noah named Noah? In order to show us that this one, this person, is going to bring Nechama from all of the curse that Hashem gave to Adam, that whole kufa of birth and dying, birth and dying, birth and dying, which in a way, the, the way we're saying it is, in other words, all of that was a tishabov. It was just about destruction. This one is born, but then he dies. This one's born, then he dies. This one's born, then he dies. It's depressing. And also we're told, we're told nothing of their life other than the fact that what was meaningful about their lives was that they were born and then died. In other words, the Torah is even showing us in some way a certain kind of like, almost like Hashem sticking, at, sticking his tongue out at us and saying, you got kicked out of Gan Eden, you introduced death. Let me just show you who died. This one was born, then he died. This one was born, then he died. There was nothing meaningful about their lives until Noah comes. And Noah brings Nechama. Somehow Noah brings Nechama. And from Noah and on seems to be a Nechama for, for that curse of Adam. Not a change in the curse, but a Nechama for the curse. So now listen to how, listen to this Rashi. And this is the, really what, the way Aviva Zornberg points it out. She says, what's the Nechama of Noah? Lamech names Noah to be Noah in order to show that he brought Nechama into the world. So what's the Nechama of Noah? So most of us would go to the story of Noah, understand that eventually at one point Hashem says, I need to not just bring death into the world, I need to destroy earth. That's the real kiyum of the curse that I, that, that I gave to Adam for eating from the Eitz Adas, because man never really made it. Man never really figured it out. Man failed completely. And so Hashem destroyed the earth, but with Noah, because Noah was matzachem be'enei Hashem, with Noah, I, he rebuilt the world. And so Lemech's promise, Lemech's nevuah, Lemech's, Lemech's foreshadowing, foretelling of Noah's life is that Noah would bring into the world the nechama of the rainbow, that Hashem promises Noah that I'm never going to bring a marble into the world. And so Noah somehow becomes a nechama because through Noah there's going to be a complete 
promise that Hashem is going to say, I, I will never, ever, ever destroy the world again. That, says Aviva Zornberg, is the, the basic understanding we would have of why Noah brings Nechama into the world. But look at Rashi. What does Rashi say? Rashi says something completely different. And for most of us, we, we read through this Rashi, and it passes us by, and we don't really talk about it because Noah's life seems to be mostly about the teva that he built and the, and the way that he's the man who kind of uh, Hashem saves the world through. So let's re- read what Rashi says. Zeyanach menu, yonach mimenu es yitzvan yadenu. Noach, Lemach says in Rashi, <clears throat> Noach will end. He will give us a rest from the itzvan yadenu, from all the hard work we've put into the world. Before Noach came in, onto the scene in history, they didn't have any agricultural tools. They didn't have any plowshares. They didn't have any. They didn't have any tools to work the land. Noach was an innovator. He created and prepared tools for people to work the land. In other words, up until that point in history. They literally worked the earth with their hands. They didn't have shovels. They dug with their fingernails and their fingertips into the earth. They plowed, they sowed, they cut, they reaped. Everything they did, they did with the toil of their hands. And came along Noach, and he created for them, he innovated and made and manufactured shovels and all kinds of different things to be used in agriculture. And now the Rashi goes on, before Noach, until that time in history when Noach introduced agricultural tools, they had a major problem because they would, they would plant wheat, and instead of wheat, they would, they would, they, what would grow from the ground is thorns. In other words, they would spend so much time with the, with the toils of their hand and they would end up disappointed because they would never ever get the end result of what they planted. They, they, they experienced the curse of Adam and Chava, they experienced the curse of Itzvan Yadenu, that not only would they have to work physically with their hands and go through the physical labor of digging up the earth with their bare hands, but at the end of it, their effort never, never produced any Paris. Their effort never produced any results. They would plant and hope and have great expectations that they would have a big field full of wheat. And instead, what would they get? Thorns. In the days of Noach, this stopped. This ended. It subsided. And this person, Noach, ended the curse. They had a rest from the curse. In other words, what's Rashi saying here? That when Noach is cur- when Noach came, comes onto the scene, Noach is 
called Noach, because Zeyenachemenu, not Nechama comfort, but this one is going to end. This one is going to bring about an end to the physical, practical labor that humanity enacted that resulted in failure. Noach ended that. In other words, the word Noach comes from the letters Yenachmenu, which Rashi is explaining, doesn't mean comfort and consolation. It means he will give us a rest. He will end. Yonachmimenu. And Rashi goes on and says, If you don't explain this, if you don't explain that the words Noach mean he ended something, if you don't explain that Noach excuse me, that Noah ended things because he prepared for them agricultural tools. If you don't say that, and you want to say the pshat that Noah brought consolation into the world, you want to say that Noah somehow brought some kind of psychological consolation into the world, tam then the words, the words Noah, I'm sorry, the word Noah, would not accurately describe the word You would have to call Noach's name Menachem. In other words, Rashi says, just from seeing the word Noach, you must explain that Noach did something to end the practical drought and the practical failure and disappointments that they experienced. It cannot mean something psychological, Rashi saying. You would have to call his name Menachem, otherwise. Because the word Menachem positively reflects on consolation. Zeyenachemenu, the Nechama that we see by Noach, is not a Nechama of psychological uh, uh, type. It's not even the word Nechama, Rashi is saying. It's really the word ending, ending something negative. Now, it doesn't, we cannot change the fact that the word Nechama and Zeyenachemenu are part of the same thing. What Rashi is saying here is something I think very profound, and I think it's really actually what, what the, the, um, what the is saying. What Rashi is saying here is that there are two kinds of Nechama. There's a practical nechama and there's a psychological nechama. There's a nechama that comes along with being able to stop and innovate and take away the practical suffering that people go through. That Noah has the ability to yanach mimenu es itzvanyadenu. Noah innovated and came up with a very practical tool for how to end suffering. He innovated he actualized, and he brought about some physical change in life. But that's not the Ikr Nechama, Rashi says. That's not the Ikr Nechama. And this brings us back to the Tver Shlema. What You want to know what the Ikr Nechama is? You know why? You know why Noach is not about Menachem? Because if you want to know what Menachem is, Menachem is psychological. Menachem is connecting to Hashem. Menachem is saying, I leave the dimension of the physical reality of my life, and I figure out how to connect in a deeper way, in a meaningful way, in the experiential way, in the interpretive way. I can connect to Hashem. I don't have to be 
broken under the 5,000 years of Jewish suffering, I don't have to say to myself, my life is a bidyeved, no way, shape, or form. My life is completely lechachilo. You know why? Not because I'm doing everything perfectly. Not because I have innovated. Not because I've done all the mitzvahs. It's not about the functional reality of my life. That's not where Nechama takes place. Nechama takes place in a deeper way. Nechama says, even though there's a Chorban Beis HaMikdash, even though there's an Akev, even though I feel like I myself am a Mitzvah Shadash Fa'akov, I feel like the world is crushing me. I feel like there's nothing in my life that's worthwhile. I feel broken. There's Yeyush. There's despair and despondency. Comes along Nechama. Comes along Hashem and says, Tishmon, you're listened to. The Iker Nechama takes place when a person realizes that I'm connected to Hashem, that there's nothing in my life that can invalidate my relationship with Hashem. There's nothing in my life that can bring me all the way down to that bottomless pit of hopelessness, because that's the world of the Nachash. What the Nachash essentially sold to Adam and Chava is the disappointment in life is so great that maybe there's no God. The disappointment in life, says the Nachash, is that hopelessness is a real dimension. The greatest trick the devil ever played is to convince humanity that it does exist. That's the greatest trick the devil ever played. The greatest trick the Yetzirah ever played is, is that what it has to sell is worthwhile. That toxic shame is something you should feel. That brokenness is something real. The Nachama of the Shiva de Nechemta, the Nechama of this time is the recognition that there's nothing in my life, there's nothing in my life that can invalidate my relationship with Hashem. That the only thing that's real in this world is my Neshama, is that inner world in the deepest place that's buried beneath, underneath all the pain, that's buried beneath, underneath all the failures, that's buried beneath all of the lack of accomplishment and all the possible things that I didn't do that I worry about all day long, that buried underneath that there is a gem. There is a beautiful place within me that's called the neshama. And that place is not just put there by God. That place is godly, is divine. That nothing can destroy that. And that even though in life, sometimes the pathways and the bridges to that soul can get removed. Sometimes the, the journey within doesn't end up in that soul, but I believe that that soul is in me. And I believe that Hashem is containing me and that Hashem is without me and that Hashem is transcendent in a way that is so far but is so close and that there's nothing that can invalidate that. That's Nechama. Nechama is the recognition that I have the capacity to go from Noach, of Yonach Mimenu, of focusing on all the practical ways I can fix the world, to a place of Menachem, to a place of Nachemu Nachemu Ami, as the Rebbe says, as the Tver says, to a place of recognizing that the Iker Nechama is, that through the pain, in the pain, hidden deep, 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 deep down inside the pain, there is a place of perfection, that Hashem is there. And if Hashem is there and Hashem is giving it to me, then I can have some nechama. 
and recognizing that. We should be zaycha, not just, not just li'ilei nishmas, these two people, the Sadiqar Rebbe, and my sister-in-law, we should be zaycha that Hashem should see us in pain and bring about both nechamas, not just the nechama of Hashem is with us, but the nechama of the Beis HaMikdash and return us back to Gan Eden. And not the Gan Eden that resides within us that it takes us time to meditate and get to, but the Gan Eden that we know to be real, not just we believe, but we know to be real. That time when Hashem will, will take our neshamas out of us and shine a light on all the pain and all the suffering that we've been through and restore our neshamas back to be the levushim of our guf so that our gufim, our bodies, are contained within our neshamas and not the other way around. And that in all of our yearning and all of our desire and all of that intention that other Chava had at the moment, of, at the beginning of time, to eat from the Eitz Adas, which is all about Shabbos, which is all about desire and craving for reality, for fulfillment. We should be zaycha to have that. Beschus these two neshamas and beschus all of the pain that we've been through and beschus all of the efforts, all of the itzvan yadenu that we've all been through in whatever way it's been. And Hashem should return ourselves to the Beis HaMikdash in Yerushalayim, the Meher Amenu, Amen.